but I was getting the eye, so it's time to start our Wednesday night Bible class. Um, Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Just a reminder, we're going to be going back through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We didn't get through the end of it, so um, that's where we're at in case anybody wants to follow along in their Bibles. All right, let's pray. Father God, we come before you. Lord, we are grateful for this time. We're always grateful for the time that we can just dig into your word together as family. Uh, just try to find the truth in your word. Try to discern your word in the, the times that we live in. Make good, solid application through the scripture to the way we should live and, and how we should handle the things of this world. Father, I just uh, pray tonight that as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, that you help us to stay on track, that you give us words of wisdom, Father, that we remember the context of Scripture, but also that we share, we share our opinions, we share what we're thinking and even in the moment, Father, and uh, we just work through those things together. God, I... This is my favorite format of church, when we all speak, when we all talk, when we all learn. And I just pray that if anybody has anything they want to say tonight, that they have the courage to do that, and that we'll all be blessed from it. We thank you so much for your son, for the sacrifice he made on the cross that gives us the hope of eternal life and restored our relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so... Last week, I used the same slideshow here, just in case we wanted to go backwards at all. Anybody want to rehash anything we discussed last week? No? All right. So, we ended right here in verses 25 through 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read that and pick up just so we can be reminded. I think this will get our uh, brains going for where we were at last week. And then we'll um, move forward from there. It says, now concerning the betrothed, remember we were talking about wedding, we were talking about whether you should get married, shouldn't get married. Um, He even talked about right before that being a bondservant versus a freed man. Um, So he's talked about a list of things in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but we're mainly talking about this idea of marriage actually for most most of the chapter and burning with passion and stuff like that. So now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. So remember... He was talking about, remember, Paul, he, he's, he's kind of of the belief that if you're not married, you can actually do more for God, right? That's a big part of his context in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're not married, because your attention, your dedication 
won't be divided. Um, that's kind of the basics of the situation. If you also remember when we finished um, in our conversation last week, I was telling you that I, yeah. It's very important, I think, that we put it in uh, the viewpoint of 26. In view of what the Corinthians are going through, these are his viewpoints. Yeah, that's exactly what I was just about to say. Um, which was, remember how we ended the class last week, which was that we believe, at least I believe, right, that there is something going on, as Mike just said, so obviously he agrees with me, right, in this interpretation, that there's something going on in Corinth that has them worried about these types of things. Should I get married? Should I not get married? I'm engaged. Should I even go through with it or not? Okay? Very important to remember that. Um, so, anybody want to add to that really quickly? Before we move on, we kind of ended there. No? All right. We're going to move on then. This is what I mean, brothers, verse 29. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So I want to say that I believe verses, um, verse 26, but also in these scriptures, I actually think he's talking about two different things. So how do you guys feel about that? I think he's talking about two different things. I think the appointed time has grown very short. I think he's talking about something that's going on in the present time. But now we are in the last time, right? To me, it's the idea that Jesus has now been, he is dead, he's buried, he's resurrected, he's ascended, we're in the new covenant. After the new covenant, what's left? The return, right? Now, nobody knows that time, and it's difficult to read this in that way, knowing that we're 2,000 years from that moment, but don't forget, Jesus and John the Baptist both started their ministries with repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So what do you guys think? Am I right? Am I wrong? You got a guess? Do you think he's talking about something that's happening currently still in these verses, or do you think he's talking about the fact that we're in the last times. Go ahead, Mike. Read it as they would have read it in the okay. first century. Yeah, we've had the advantage of 2,000 years. They didn't. Sure. This was brand new stuff for them. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's something that means what they're talking about at the moment. You think it's the present distress that he's talking about in verse 26 he's still talking about now? Yeah, I think it's okay. a big struggle between those who are Christians versus those who are not. Sure. We know that's coming to a head, right? We know there's persecution, major persecution for Christians right around the corner. We do have the benefit of knowing that. 
Okay. ...with the world. If he's saying, wrong way. Okay. Anybody else? Sue, go ahead. I think part of that, too, is that when that tough time comes, he, he wants them to, to stay faithful and not worry about what, how it might affect other things okay. in their lives. But, of course, he always wants them to remain faithful because sure. of how you interpret it. Sure. Well, obviously, the stress that is going on is enough, right? The, one, of the, one of the other things that I, I meant to remind us of before we got started was, don't forget, Paul's answering questions. We don't know the questions. We just know the answers. And that's part of the difficulty in understanding whether he's talking about that present distress now or if he's talking about the fact that we're in the last times. I know for me personally, <coughs> I could agree with what Mike said, where it could be the present distress. Although, however, when I read it for myself, I try to apply it to what is going on right now. And to me, there's still this idea that the day is short. Jesus is coming soon, right? That's what we sing, right? Don't we believe that? Right? He started his, he started his ministry with the kingdom of heaven is near. So I think there's always this sense of urgency. Why wait, right? Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What's preventing me from doing this right now? Why can't I get baptized now? Why wait? Um, so I think that's kind of some of what's being expressed. Now I will say, in the context of all of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you could definitely lean either way. No doubt. And I don't have a problem with it being interpreted either way. What do you think about this, though? When he says... Live as though you weren't married. Live as though you're not in mourning, right? Live as though you're not rejoicing. Or that live as though you have no dealings with the world. That one, that one's tough, isn't it? Now, if you look at it from what Mike was saying, right, and they're running because the persecution is getting real, you can see the urgency, right? But that's a tough one. I looked through many commentaries at this, and to be honest, the, I was not pleased with really anything. Because this one is, this is one of the, this is probably the toughest part of the scripture for me in the whole chapter. Because I want to rejoice. I think it's important to mourn. I think in all situations, if you're married, it's important to consider your spouse. So he can't really be saying that, can he? Go ahead, Sue. Considering your spouse causes you to give in to the persecution, yes, you could be talking about that. Oh, very interesting. I like the way that you said that. I, you know, I think I'm like I'm with you. I think you need to consider your spouse. Yeah, sure. I, I'm with that. But well, no. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I think what you just said is actually very good. Go ahead, Sue. Zen. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like 
if we want to apply this <coughs> to our lives today, is we live in the world with, you know, we are married, we mourn and all this, but we're always realizing that we're not of this world. Our mourning is temporary. Our mourning, we're all going forward to heaven. Yeah. And even though we're married, our goal is not of this world because there is no marriage in heaven. Yeah. So we're thinking to get through this world, you have to look to beyond this world. Yeah. I think what you say combined with what Sue says, probably nailing it. Go ahead, Chad. Um, the appointed time has grown ever shorter or ever, ever shorter. Um, these statements kind of counterwash themselves out. So maybe it's trying to tell us not to worry about all the small things and worry about the big thing that's coming. That, worry about yourself and get right. Uh, repent, get baptized. You know, that's kind of how I see it, that it, 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 it counters itself out all through here of the different scenarios. So that, that's how I would kind of read it. Yeah, I definitely think, I think I agree 100% with you that that's, that is the big picture. That's the big picture of what's being said. I I didn't think about what Sue said before this moment. And I, I just want to say, you know, I mean, Jesus did say himself, right? I came to bring a sword. And he was talking about amongst family members, right? Because your belief in Jesus could separate you from, you know, your family. I was talking to a guy um, not that long ago, a few years back now which the older you get, that seems shorter and shorter, right? Not that long ago. Um, but he was, a, he was a Muslim, and he was from a Muslim family. And he wanted to talk to me about Jesus. And one of the things he said to me was, you know the Quran actually speaks about Jesus in a, in a better way than Muhammad. And I didn't know that. And he started going through all these different things that Jesus did that Muhammad could not do. And so he felt like even the Quran was kind of pointing him to Jesus was greater than everybody else in the Quran. Okay? So I thought that was fascinating. Wanted to speak more to him. So we started to have a Bible study. It lasted one time. It lasted one time. Because his vehicle was spotted by a family member at our church. And he came to, I, he didn't come to me, I want to say this exactly right. He didn't come to me, I went to him. Um, because he actually lives very close to somebody else who, who we all know at this church. And I said, hey, I thought we were gonna you know, keep studying. I wanted to learn more myself. Some of the stuff he was saying was like blowing my mind. And he told me that his family had caught us and that he was going to be disowned. And he just couldn't do that because it wasn't just going to affect him. It was going to affect his wife. It was going to affect his children. And I, I don't know why that just took me there, but that just took me there. I think, I really do think that's probably a really good interpretation of what, what is going on there, regardless of, again, whether that's, the sense of urgency for all of us and not letting anything get in the way or even the sense of urgency because of what's going on right then in their present time with the persecution. Nothing is, nothing is more important than Jesus Christ. Go ahead, Paul. 
put this in context and similar <clears throat> to what Shad said, mm -hmm. in Luke 14, 26, Jesus said, unless you hate your mother and your father and your family and everybody else, you can't be my disciple. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think he was telling them to hate people. Sure. He was telling them it's about the perspective and your focus, which is what's occurring here as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Everybody good so far? Anybody want to say anything else before we move on? We're going to switch scriptures here. Good? Okay. We can always go back to if somebody wants to go back at some point. Oh, I, I had to put this word in blue, one, because it says it so much, and two, because, you know, it's just such a big part of culture these days. We deal with so much anxiety, so much, so much anxiety um, in so many ways. And I know that some people struggle with that more than others, um, but I just wanted you to see how important it was to Paul as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32 says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So, Paul wants you to be free from anxieties. And he tells you right now, if you get married, it's going to create anxiety. Is that what he's saying? <laughs> I'm trying to have a little bit of fun, yeah. Anxious about the things of this uh of the Lord also. Mm -hmm. It is. So you, you have to have to be careful about what you're <laughs> saying. Yeah. So what do you think it, it means when he says, I want you to be free from anxiety? Go ahead, Chuck. Well, versus anxious. I think a better word is the unmarried man is focused. Yeah. Whereas the married man is focused on his wife and God. So his interests are divided. Because they're divided, you have anxiety. So it ties back into him saying, if you're unmarried, you don't have that division. You have a focus on God. You won't be having anxiety because you won't be divided. But if you are married, you will be divided. Your focus will be divided. And you'll have anxiety because of that. Because when you're serving the Lord, then you're not paying attention to your wife. You're paying attention to your wife, you're not paying attention to God. Yeah. So other translations put it as worried as well, right? Um, focus is a good way to put it as well. You know, I was thinking about this from the perspective of the way we always think about anxiety, right, as, a, as a, something that can hold you back, something that can um, seclude you, something that can be unhealthy. But, you know, I love playing soccer. I love to preach. But I get a little bit anxious before I do either. 
And I think it's actually a good and a healthy anxious. I'm excited, but I'm also nervous because I don't know the outcome, right? And I think just like he says in here, there's this focus, there's this worry of doing what God wants me to do and being able to focus on that undivided, undivided focus on that versus being worried about how I'm going to make my family work, how I'm going to, and here's the truth, and we all know this. All of us who are married know this, right? You don't make a decision once you get married on your own anymore. You don't make a decision and disregard your spouse. So I could feel like tomorrow that God wants me to go to Africa and be a missionary. Well, I can tell you right now, I don't even have to talk to my wife. That's not going to fly. So there, there is this idea, and I see, and remember, remember this. Remember this too. This is one of the few chapters where one of the apostles admits, admits to, pertaining to this specific subject, being the marriage part, that he's giving you his opinion. That this isn't a command from the Lord. Okay? And now he's giving you reasons of why he thinks it's better especially for the church of Corinth in the time that they're going through, why it's better for them to remain single. But here's the truth, too. I don't think it has to be a time of distress to admit that at times in your life, you potentially could have done more for God if your attention was not divided and you could just go and be. So... I know that's like a dangerous thing kind of in a way to say, but I think, there's, I, think there's, I think there's truth to that. Paul could have never done what he did for God if he was married as well. He could have never done it. Peter was married. Had a different life than Paul. Part of that probably was because he was married. Okay? So, um, I don't know, just something to consider there. Anybody want to throw anything else out on this one? Mickey, were you raising your hand now? Doug, go ahead. <laughs> Ironically, being married is a qualification to be an elder or a deacon. Yes, it is. Where you take on the responsibility of the church. But with this division, with this divided interest, I just pointed it out, that's all. Yeah, and who, who, who wrote those qualifications? Same guy, exactly. It's very, this is a very interesting chapter for reasons like that. Go ahead, Chad. So I want you to be free from anxieties. Mm -hmm. So if we have all this being anxious down here, then why does it start off with that? Is that is to me that reads that you should be confident in your path with the Lord and should be confident in the path with your marriage. So if you're both, you shouldn't have any uh, anxieties. So um, go ahead. I'll, I'm going to let Susan say something first, and if she can dig me out of the hole I'm about to create, that'll be good first. Bible, you read things because God or whoever's writing it acknowledges that you're going to be anxious. So you don't feel like if I'm in this anxious situation, I'm not necessarily sinning. He's recognizing that as a 
human being in this world, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to have anxieties. And this is what you can look for. He acknowledges that. And it makes, makes it much easier to relate and to understand that, yeah, God understands that this is what's going to happen. And yeah. it's life. Yeah, I don't think, and I hope I've never preached it anyway in this way to make anybody think this, but I don't think being anxious or having anxiety is sinful, okay? Um, I do think it's a natural part. It's actually part of your fight or flight is anxiety, right? It, it, it's part of what makes you run or stay and fight, right? Um, so, and that's a healthy mechanism that you have. Um, part, of, part of your anxiety makes you start to discern things around you in real time, right? You start to get an uneasy feeling about the situation you're in or, or what you're experiencing, and you start to process that. What is making me feel off? I don't think there's things like, like there, there's part of anxiety. It's, it's kind of what I was trying to explain with being prepared for a soccer game, but getting a little bit juiced right before it, right? Being prepared to speak, but getting a little bit fired up right before it. I, I think those are healthy things. But the anxiety that we focus on is a debilitating anxiety. When we talk about anxiety from a negative situation, it's a, it's a type of anxiety that closes you in, that boxes you in, that, that brings you back from your full potential in the Lord. And you know, the only, the only way to truly, I don't know if we can ever fully get rid of anxiety. I don't know if that's actually humanly possible. But the way we can always overcome anxiety is to put our trust in the Lord. Because there's always going to be stuff that's out of our control, but there is nothing that's out of his control. So, I don't know if that helps, but let me just say this real quick. Go ahead, Chad. You want to say something else real quick? Go ahead. Like, I, I don't have anxiety in, in either. Like, I'm not fulfilling one and I'm not fulfilling the other. Um, I, I think if you, you know, like me, I put my faith in, in you know, Jesus came and died for me. Marriage to death do us part. There's, there's not a, there's no in between for me. Mm-hmm. So it's either you know we're married to death do us part, and you know Jesus died for me. So I, I, what I don't understand is I don't have any anxiety in either of those. So let me ask you this: When Megan's mad at you, that don't bother you? Not at all. Just go through your day. You don't, uh, yeah. <laughs> you already got a plan. It says, I messed up. I know how to fix this. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know? Okay. Um, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, the first line, I just, I, I read a lot into the first line. Yeah, I think it's the common worry that we always, that we all deal with, like when our relationship isn't, where we want it to be um, in a certain situation, it starts to take from my mind. It starts to take from my efforts. It starts to take from my energy. I think he's not, remember, he started out in chapter 7 saying, there's nothing wrong with being married, okay? We're past all that part where he said that two or three different times, right? There's nothing wrong with being married, but, you know, it, you could actually, in his opinion, you could do more for the Lord if you weren't because your focus would be on one thing and it would be on God. Go ahead, Mike. The word anxiety, he uses the word concern. Yeah. Uh, which 
if I'm unmarried, if I didn't have a wife, I wouldn't have to be concerned about a wife. But that's, I do have a wife. That's it. And therefore, what she needs enters my life. I think he's just explaining the way life works. Yeah, I agree 100%. That's, like I said, the other, the other interpretations that I usually use, use, interchangeably use the word worry. Not worry like your, your concern is a good, another good way to put it. Focus is another good way to put it. Go ahead, Paul. When Paul said in Philippians 4, don't be anxious for anything, and he went on, he concluded that by saying, let God's peace, which is beyond our understanding, guard our hearts and our minds. Yeah. So it's God's peace that overcomes all the anxiety. That's right. Regardless of where it comes from. That's right. I mean, don't forget that. Paul's went through some stuff. He's spent some, some uh, very uh, um, nights where things were out of his control. He spent a lot of nights in, in, in those situations. And, um, yeah, I think you've got to trust God, you know. But I, I, I do want to say again, if I, I'll speak for myself because I do make mistakes. And I don't have enough money just to go to the jewelry store every time, okay? When me and my wife's relationship isn't where it needs to be, that's a major priority for me, okay? I would not, if me and Amy were to get into a huge argument on a Sunday morning right before church and I had to preach, I guarantee you the lesson would not be the same that morning because there would be a part of me that was still at home trying to figure out where things went wrong. So I don't know if that helps at all, but I think that's what he's talking about with this idea of, you know, your, your emphasis being divided. Sue? The NIV as well as the Amplified and the Contemporary English Bible all use the word concern. And the Bible says more than one place, do not worry. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, to, to say it's all right to be anxious or to worry doesn't quite fit with other scriptures that I know. Well, then, then that's saying that sin and uh, that's saying worry and anxiety are sin. I don't, I don't think mm, that one's that that's tough for me because I don't. When my child's sick, I get anxious and I get a little worried. I don't worry about his soul. the same is what I'm trying to say. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I'm not sure anxiety and concern, if you're using the word, if you're meaning concern about your child, of course you're concerned, but I'm not sure that worry and anxiety, if you're using them as being synonymous, I'm not sure that fits with the rest of the scriptures. That's all I'm Okay, well, I mean, I would use all three of those words, and I would have no problem substituting any of those words, but I understand what you're saying. All right, anything else before we move on from this? We're getting close to the end, guys. Oh, those hands all in the back, okay. Doug? One more in there. Look up the, the word that's, like you say, anxious, uh, concerns, cares, whatever. And the words, the Greek word is remnio. I said it wrong, but whatever. And it looks like the basics of it is to let out for hire. So you've got a contract with God, you've got a contract with your wife. 
So you're going to have to basically, one's going to have to lease you to the other, is what this is kind of kind of leaning toward, regardless of our bad choice of English words. So that, and it goes along with this whole thing. If you have these two contracts, one's going to borrow from Time the from the other. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Anybody else? No? All right, let's keep moving. Verse 36, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, then it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Okay. Shad, you just want to jump on this one. I love your courage. The, uh, like a Greek word for jewelry store? Jewelry <laughs> <laughs> Betrothed no. means engaged. <laughs> All I'm going to say is to say stuff like that and get away with it, he must be a pretty good husband, huh? Very tolerant. Very tolerant. Yep, hilarious. Okay. I mean, I think this is similar to what we discussed. Um, I'm not going to rehash the story, but, you know, there, there's the reality of where Paul starts. He's kind of, as we've talked about multiple times, Paul talks in circles, right? So he starts somewhere, and by the time he ends, he's back at that same place, right? And he started this chapter with the idea of, hey, if you can refrain, right? If you can control yourself, I can not everybody's built like me. Not everybody's made to be like me. Not everybody's called to what I've been called to do, right? But if you are one of those people who are like me, then it would be better for you not to marry. That's the best I can do with this scripture. There is no way, okay, and I want to make this super clear because this is where I get nervous about not being able to finish a chapter, right? Because we've got 24 verses we have not even looked at or discussed tonight of the same chapter. And he's finishing his argument that he started in the first few verses, right? I even said at the beginning of this chapter that I thought chapter 7 was framed very well. I don't always agree with that, where they start and stop chapters in the Bible. This is a good one. And so he's finishing that circular argument from that perspective. But there is no way you can read the rest of what Paul writes in all the other scriptures and keep it in context with this one where he's saying, it's not really good. I, you know what? I don't suggest getting married. So I just want to be real clear with that. I mean, one of the first things God commanded humankind to do was be fruitful and multiply, right? He made woman to be a partner for and a suitor for man because man was lonely by himself, right? So, I mean, that's scripture. And that's right from the beginning. So I think there's... Something very natural about wanting to have a partner, um, wanting to have a life 
with your partner. Um, and again, just to echo what Doug said, you know, to be one of the leaders of the church, the qualifications is to be a man of one wife. So, and Paul wrote those qualifications. So I just want to be real clear with that. Anybody want to add anything to that before we get out of this uh, precarious couple verses? I do think this is a good, a very important, let me say this too though, just as someone who's done youth ministry for a long time, 20 years, 20 plus years. Um, this is a great chapter. Certain verses in this chapter is a great chapter to use when you are talking to young people about the desires and the passions that they have in their body. Okay? Some of you guys have not been teenagers in quite a while. I'm at that place myself. All right? I've been uh, not a teen a lot longer than I ever was a teen, and it's been a long time since I've been one. What these kids are going through in high school is very different than what I went through in high school. Um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> we all can understand the passions that rage, during, especially during certain ages of maturity and growth. And these are very good scriptures, very honest scriptures uh, to talk to your kids about. Very mature scriptures to talk to, with your kids about um, the passions that rage with, within us at times. So, just something else I wanted to throw out there real quick. It's probably one of the better uses for 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in our modern time, um, outside of, like you said, the big picture of putting God first, you know, having your main focus being God. Anything else before we move on? Anything? All right, we're at the last couple verses here. And we're going we're gonna to get done on time and everything. All right, verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if, he, if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the, in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So again, I want to show you this one more time. Verse 40, he's letting you know you can have a different opinion and not be wrong. Okay? There are going to be widows, men and women, right, whose spouse is going to die, and they are going to want to get remarried. He's not saying you're wrong for doing that. Okay? Actually, the only thing he says in, in this scripture that I think is... Um, key is he says if you're going to remarry though you should remarry in the Lord right you should remarry in the church you should remarry a Christian so um, anybody want to talk about that for a minute that, that too though is during the present crisis uh, I have met people who have gotten married and lost their husband and remarried and happened to marry somebody out of another religion and they ended up converting that person to Christ. Uh, they were having tough times in Corinth mm -hmm. and 
Paul's trying to give him as much strength as he can to get through the tough times. Well, I definitely don't think that, yet again, he's... Um, the command in this scripture is that a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, right? Um, that people, marriages till death do us part. Um, obviously, we started discussing this last week, that there are other reasons in scripture um, for divorce. We talked about maybe doing something on that later versus making 1 Corinthians 7 about that. Um, <clears throat> So I think it's, I'll be honest, I, I just think it's an encouragement. You know, I think there's an encouragement here that's going on. And I think it, again, started all the way back, I can't remember if it was in this chapter or chapter 6, with the idea of, uh, I'm pretty sure it was in the beginning of this chapter, where he was talking about um, saving your spouse and all that. Yeah, that was this chapter. See, this is why I don't... I'm not good at doing this without doing it all at once. Anyway, I don't know exactly which verse that is. Yeah, right here. So verses 10 through 14 through 16, there you go. You know, again, I think life is a lot easier if you get married to somebody who is a Christian. I think that's actually what makes most sense to people who are strongly convicted in the Lord. But I don't think it's sinful to marry somebody who's not. I think that's a lot harder. I I don't know if I could have done that myself. I'll just be honest. I don't know if I could have done that. But I have family that's done that. I don't think they're sinful because of it. Go ahead, Paul. Is situational, and I'll give you an example. In First Timothy five, Paul said, "I counsel the young widows to get married." Mm-hmm. Well, that's a little bit different than saying, "I think they should stay unmarried." So yeah. it's, it's all about context and situational. Yeah, and I, again, I I don't have an issue with Paul saying that differently in another uh, part of the scripture because he's not he's telling everybody. If you're like me, if you're like me, if you're able to control yourself, if you're able to remain single, if you're like me. So the, the other times where he's addressing different people, you know, the, the, like I said, it's easy to look at the answers. It'd be even easier if we knew the questions. So these are those things that kind of pertain to each person individually. It's not something that's a blanket statement for all. Go ahead, Susan. No matter where he addresses it in the Bible, the motivation for that marriage is the same. Even to the young widows, yeah. the motivation was the same. He's very consistent. Yeah. And that's very important. Yeah, be faithful to the Lord, and hopefully you can save your spouse, right? That's it. That's it. If not, save your spouse, save your children, right? I mean, that's, I mean, that's the scripture I went back to. Um, so, we've made it through 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Anybody else got anything they want to add before we uh, go ahead and close this out for the night? All right. Well, again, I'll repeat what I said last week. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7 are some of the more difficult, I think, more difficult 
uh, scriptures to deal with in 1 Corinthians. So I think we've done a good job at trying to uh, understand it a little bit better, and I hope we've all benefited from the conversation tonight. I thank you so much for your willingness to participate. And as I said, iron sharpens iron, so appreciate it. Glad you came tonight.